Star Trek. Welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number four. This class will be given for Refuah Shalema Chaya Sarah Bat Simha. The Pasuk says, pretty well-known Pasuk, Pasuk talks about the Jewish people on their way to war. It says that the Kohen goes out to make a few announcements. One of those announcements is that he gives an exemption to a person who just got married. He marries a new woman. He should not go out to war. The Pasuk says, Naki shana ehat. He should be clean to stay home for one year. And the Pasuk ends, Vesimah et ishto asher lakah. The first year of marriage is critical for the future of this home and this family. And therefore, the foundation of this home that hopefully will be a success is Simha. And therefore, he needs to spend the first year Vesimah. He needs to make his wife happy. Now, if you look at Rashi on this Pasuk, on the word Vesimah, says Rashi, it means make her happy. Rashi quotes a Targum. This is the Targum Yonatan ben Oziel. The Targum explains the word Vesimah different than what Rashi is proposing. He says, Vesamah im ishto. Not Vesimah et ishto. Not he makes his wife happy. Rather, he is happy with his wife. Says Rashi, Allah Shalom, that this Targum is a ta'ut. It's a mistake. It cannot be. Because the word in Hebrew for being happy is Vesamah. But the Pasuk says Vesimah. Vesimah means making someone else happy. Says Rashi, it's a mistake. However, the great Yonatan ben Uziel was a great man. And many explain that this Targum doesn't necessarily explain word for word. Rather, he's explaining the bigger picture. 
And when Yonatan bin Uziel explains that the man has to be happy with his wife, he understands the pasuk means to make her happy. But the only way that he can make her happy is that he first himself has to be happy. So the Targum says, et ishto, which means make her happy. You got to be happy first. Vesamah aim ishto. First you be happy and you can make others happy. If anyone knows a little about ta'amim, you don't have to know too much to understand what I'm going to tell you. Ta'amim basically gives us the right tone how to read the pesukim. When to stop, there's a full stop, Is a soft pasuk. Then we have atnah, is a little softer stop. Then there's like kamas. Every one of the ta'amim has a meaning, not only in the song, but what it means in the pasuk. So the pasuk, when it says, Vesimah et ishto, seems to be one sentence. There's no break in, and you should make your wife happy. If you were writing it in English, you would write, and you should make your wife happy. But comes comes the pasuk and comes the ta'amim, if you look in the Torah, you'll find, it's in Parashat Kitetze, you will see that after the word vesimah, there is a tarha. Tarha is basically a comma. So the way you read it is like this, vesimah, stop, et ishto asher lakah, which obviously grammatically doesn't make sense. But this seems to be a support for the Targum. Vesimah, stop. You, you can't make her happy. Before you make someone else happy, you got to be happy. You got to take a break. And then you could talk about others. This is actually the reason why if you look in the Sheva Berachot, when you ever go to a wedding or to a Sheva Berachot party, you will hear the berachot that they make. And each one is unique. Hagefen, she'akol baralich vodo, yotzer adam. The last two berachot seem to be identical in the way they end. The same message. The sixth beracha says, Baruch ata Hashem, mesamea hatan bechala. We thank Hashem for bringing simha for a hatan and kala. And then the last beracha, identically almost, it says, Baruch Ata Hashem Mesameach He Hatan Im Akala. Which seems to say the same thing, to make the Hatan Akala happy. But there's a difference. In that the, the sixth beracha, there's no word Im. The seventh is with. And the answer is that the sixth beracha is saying, that the Hatan should be happy and the Kala should be happy separately as individuals. Because only when a person is happy themselves as an individual can you say, You can't be happy with somebody, not the wife and not the husband, if they're not happy with themselves. So the first Biracha is for them as individuals. That is the foundation. And then we could say the seventh and final Biracha. There's a parasha in parashat Kitavo. 
that talks about the Jewish farmer. I'm going to say it in very brief words. The Jewish farmer, every three years, has to make a vidui. He has to proclaim that he has given all the right produce to the ani, the poor person, to the levi. There's different rules of how you're supposed to divide when Hashem blesses you with wheat and grain. So he's supposed to say, I gave everybody their rightful part. Rashi Alava Shalom over there says, on the Pasuk, the farmer says, Asiti kechol asher I did everything you told me. Says Rashi, what does that mean? What, what does the farmer mean by that? Says Rashi, it means, Samahti, I was happy. Vesimahti, and I made others happy. So the second part of Rashi makes perfect sense. This whole vidui is, did you give the poor person his portion? Did you give the levi his portion? That's all about making them happy. Why does Rashi stick in samahti? I was happy. That's not part of the halakha. Whether you're happy or not, that's not relevant to these halakhot. It's making others happy with the food that Hashem gave you. But Rashi throws it in. Samahti, I was happy. Vesimahti. And again, the reason, because Rashi knows very well that you can't make an ani happy, or anybody happy for that matter, if you're not happy yourself. We all know, and we hear every year in Tisha so many times, what the Gemara says in Masechet Yomah. The Gemara says that the second Beit HaMikdash, Am Yisrael in general was learning Torah, they were fulfilling mitzvot, they were doing Gemilut Hasadim, involved in Hasid. So the Gemara says, So why was it destroyed? Seems everything is going well. The Gemara says the famous answer, Because they had baseless hatred. That was the environment. There was a lot of hatred and it was baseless. And for that reason, the second Beit HaMikdash was destroyed. While we all have heard this many times, it seems to be in direct contradiction to the Torah's prophecy. You see, in the Torah, there are two parashiyot that speak about terrible curses that will befall our nation when things don't go right. One is Parashat Behukotai, that's in Sefer Vayikra. The second one is in Parashat Kitavo, that's in Sefer Devarim. These are two places where there are terrible curses mentioned. In fact, if you hear the Baal Kore read, usually we read it a little bit lower. Now, Hazal tell us that actually each one of these represents a different tragedy that happened in our history. The first one in Parashat Behukotai is referring to events 
that happened in the destruction of the first Bet HaMikdash. The second one talks about the destruction of the second Bet HaMikdash. And actually, when you read what it says in the Torah and you learn history, you'll see just how identical they are to what actually happened. It's almost like reading history backwards. And when you look at Parashat Kitavo, that's the second Bet HaMikdash, you will find over there, the Torah gives a reason. You know why this is all going to happen, says the Torah? You know, what's, you know what you did wrong? Tahat, asher lo avata et Adonai Elohecha besimha, uptub levav merov kol. Because you didn't have simha in your service of Hashem. That's the reason why the curses of Parashat Kitavo happened. But that's not what Hazal tell us. I just told you, it says in Masechet Yoma, the reason why the Beta Megdash, the second one was destroyed, was because of baseless hatred. And here the Torah says that this all happened because of a lack of simha. So how do we make these two ideas and these two sources fit? And consistent with how we started the class, the same way that a person cannot make somebody else happy if they're not happy. If you don't have simha, then what's going to happen is you're going to have hatred. When there's a lack of simha, there is what we call in Hebrew sin'ah. Ever bothered you why it's called sin'at hinam? Baseless hatred. Have you ever met a human in your life that hated for no reason? When was, the, when was the last time you ask somebody, why are you upset with that person? Why do you hate them? And they say, no reason. I just want to. Never happened. We don't hate people for no reason. Maybe not enough reason, but for no reason to call it sinat, hainam. Who are we talking about? What were they doing then? But the answer is, that sin'ah originates in the person. When a person doesn't have simha in their life, so that is molid, it gives birth. It gives birth to something called sin'ah. This is why it's called sin'at hinam. There may be reasons, but if you were sameah, if you were a happy person, if you were satisfied, if you were fulfilled with yourself, it wouldn't bother you. You wouldn't be so angry. You wouldn't be so hateful. But because you're not happy, so now every issue that comes up in your life is a reason to bring out that sin'ah. So it is consistent. The Torah is telling us the source. There's no simha. The Gemara is telling us what brought, what did the lack of simha bring into Am Yisrael? It was sinat hinam. Sinat hinam is what we find by the statement of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva, the great sage, Rabbi Akiva, who we all know, started his journey back to Judaism at the age of 40. Before he was 40, he was what we call an Am Haaretz. Today we use the word Am Ha'aretz sometimes for an ignorant person. A lot of times it's because they didn't learn anything. 
Maybe they grew up in a place where there was no yeshiva. Sometimes not their fault. But in the words of Hazal, when we describe an Am Ha'aret, it's not a guy who's a Hazit, he doesn't know. It's a guy who doesn't want to know. He's not interested to know. So the Bi'akiva makes this unbelievable statement. This is what he was already Rabbi Akiva. It says in Masechet Pesachim, Amar Rabbi Akiva, Keshehayiti Am Ha'aretz, when I was an Am Ha'aretz, before I was Rabbi Akiva, Amarti, I would say as follows, Mi Yitenli Talmid Hacham, who will give me a scholar, a Torah scholar, so I could bite him like the donkey bites. Amrulo Talmidav, his students told him, Rabbi, they told him, Rabbi, emorka killer. Why you why are you saying donkey? Say like the bite of a dog. Amar Lahen, he said to them, Ze the Hamor when he bites, Noshech Veshover Etzem. He bites and he is able to break the bone of the one that he's biting. The dog bites. It bites, not so pleasant, but doesn't break the bone. When I wanted the Talmid Hacham to bite him, I wanted to do it like a Hamor. I wanted to break his bones. And when you read this, you say, Rabbi Akiva, what, what kind of person were you? What, what happened to you? What did Talmid Hacham do to you? He's a Talmid Hacham. That if they call him a Talmid Hacham, he's someone of value. That means he's a person who's learning the ways of the Torah, the midot of the Torah. What did he do to you? Why do you want... He didn't say a specific one. Give me any Talmid Hacham. Any Talmid, you find it, bring him. I want to bite him. The answer is what the Gemara says. Call Ha'osek Bat Torah. Someone who is busy learning Torah in front of an Am Ha'aretz like Rabbi Akiva before. You see, you walk into the Bet Midrash, if I was Rabbi Akiva at 20, and you see guys learning, and they're enjoying, and they're in it. Says the Gemara, It's as if he took the girl he's engaged to, and grabbed it from him. What would a guy do if someone would grab the girl he just proposed to? He's going to get married to her. And someone grabs her and takes her for himself. He'd go wild. That's how an Am Ha'aretz feels, says the Gemara, when he sees somebody learning Torah. Why? Because the Pasuk says, Torah tzivalanu Moshe. The Torah that was commanded to us by Moshe Morasha. Morasha means it's our heritage. Says the Gemara, Altikre Morasha. What does it mean, heritage? Elame Orasa. It's like the Torah is engaged to us, or we're engaged to it. That's why says the Gemara, Gedola Sin'a. The hatred. Shesonin Ameha Aretz. Et Talmide Hachamim. The great hatred, says, is worse, Yoter. How much do goyim out there 
hate Am Yisrael, we see it all over. The hatred that an Am Haaretz has for a Talmid Hacham is greater than the hatred that Iran has for Am Yisrael. That's what it says. What's the, what's the issue? Where does it begin? What did he do to you, this man? Because he's learning Torah. The answer is, when you see someone learning, and you know you should be learning, so it bothers you. So you're not happy with yourself. And when you're not happy with yourself, you have a choice. Stay not happy with yourself, or figure out how to take that and direct it on somebody else. Instead of hating yourself, figure out somebody else to hate. It makes you feel a little bit better for the moment. That's the only explanation why Rabbi Akiva would want to bite a Talmid Hakan who did nothing to him. Because hatred of others starts from within. We've been studying Simha and how valuable Simha is to a person. Today, we're learning that if a person doesn't have Simha in their life, they're probably going to start having a lot of sin'ah in their life. They're going to have a lot of people that they don't like. Their neighbors, their cousins, their own family, their partners. Again, granted, people sometimes do things that might be annoying and sometimes not to our liking and maybe not to our comfort. But that doesn't mean there should be sin'ah. Sin'ah comes out because something is missing in our satisfaction of ourselves. And by the way, this is supported by the Rishonim. The Rishonim writes in a few places, for example, Rabbeinu Yonah writes, that Hashem commanded us, listen to these words, lehasir min nafshenu, to remove from our souls, midat hasinah, the characteristic of hatred. The Sefer HaChinuch writes, this sin'ah, he calls it, hamida, the characteristic, ha that is the lowest, vehanim eset, and the most vile, the most disgusting, tachlit hamius. Notice, they call sin'ah a mida, a character trait. I would never have said that. Let me explain what I mean. If I see somebody who hates somebody, I say, why do you hate him? Oh, you don't know what he did to me. He did that to me. He said that about me. So that's why I hate him. The hatred began, at least the way he thinks, because of what the other person did or did not do. Comes Rabbeinu Yonah and says, no. Sin'ah is a midah. You know what's a midah? Let's say I see a person who's not humble. Where did that begin? It began because his midah, he has a characteristic of arrogance. So because of his midah, that's why he acts the way he does. Nothing had to happen for that to happen. It's not because of the outside world that he's arrogant. Arrogant began from within his midah. Patience is a midah. Says the Rishonim that hatred is a midah, which means that hatred begins from within you. It's not something that was caused by somebody else. That may have been the circumstance that it came out. 
But if you have hatred for somebody, it's a midah from within yourself. Just like when you're arrogant, it didn't happen because of the person who walked in front of you. He didn't make you arrogant. It's your arrogance that came out when the situation presented itself. So too with hatred. When you hate somebody, he's just the target of your bad characteristic of sin'ah. You could, me and you could be walking around with a midah called sin'ah. Again, if nobody's around, nobody touches us, nobody bothers us, then it doesn't come out. It doesn't mean it's not there. If I'm not a patient person and nobody's upsetting me, it doesn't mean that I'm patient. It just means that the circumstance hasn't presented itself. Just test me. Let a person make me a little bit crazy. See what I do. The patience or lack of is within me. That's how sin'ah works. Never say the hatred that I have for that person was caused by them. No, no. They're the target of your hatred that's within you. That now that it came into fruition because of what that person did. That's a very big hidush. Midah is a sin'ah that we have to get rid of. But you can't get rid of sin'ah unless you have simha. It seems that one replaces the other. When you're not sameah, there seems to be a vacuum that opens up, that is looking for a new midah called sin'ah. As you can imagine, this becomes such an important question to ask when you want to find out about somebody that you want to get along with. For example, a partner in business. Yes, of course you want to know if they're honest. Otherwise, you can't even start. But there's more than honesty in running a business and sharing your life with somebody every single day. If you want to hire someone to teach your children, well, besides, obviously they have to know what they're teaching. Otherwise, we can't start. But it's much more than just giving over information. You get married to somebody. Obviously, you have to get along. But there's more than that. And that more, if you ask me, what is the number one criteria of a teacher for your children or a partner for your business or someone to marry is, are they happy? Are they people of simha? When a person is sameah, he's a different human being. Because if you're not sameah, you're going to have a hard time getting along with him. Anything you do can erupt a volcano in your home. Anything that happens can disrupt your business. The classroom or the lesson will never go as planned. Because there's always something that happens out of the ordinary. Somebody will act up. Somebody will not be in the mood. And then what? It is only a person of simha that's able to weather the storms when things don't happen correctly. It's not surprising, therefore, that when Eliezer went to find a bride for Yitzhak Avinu. So he had no idea who he was going to end up with. But the Pasuk says specifically 
that when he got to the well of the city, he went le'et erev, he went at the time of the evening. Why that time? Remember, it's Torah is not a storybook. So if it shares with us information, that means it's something that we need to know. So to me right now, it doesn't matter if he was there in the morning or in the afternoon or in the evening. It makes no difference. But says the Torah, let me tell you what it happened. It was le'et erev. It was during evening time. And what happens during evening time? Le'et Set hasho'avot. It's when a lot of the ladies come out to come draw water from the well. So, in a book called Sefer Tirosh, he says, Why was that important? What does it matter? And what was Eliezer's idea? What was his plan to specifically go during that time? What was he looking for? So, he says that the time, that time of the evening, the women sit around. I guess they had a hard day, working, cooking, children. So they take a break in the afternoon, later on, before the night, before their husbands get home, and they sit around and they talk, chatter, they talk. A lot of times when women talk, unfortunately, also men, but uh, ends up being negative somehow. Very hard to say nice things for a long time. At some point... uh, you start sharing information. Oh, you, you heard what happened. You, you believe what happened. Wow, this, that. Okay. Of course, all Hashem Shemaim. But that's what happens. So says the Sefer Atirosh that Eliezer wanted to hear what the woman would say about this girl. What are they going to say about her? Are they going to say, look, look at that girl. Oh, what, a, what a horrible girl. Troublemaker. They want to hear. It's like imagine finding a, 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 a daughter-in-law and you can get a peek into the friends, how they talk about her. That'd be, that's unbelievable. You could see directly from the ones who know her best how they feel about her. That's a tremendous gift of information. That's what Sefer Tiro says. You know why he went at that time? Because that's when he finds them talking and he wants to hear if there's any, any dirt on, on, uh, on, on, on this girl. Okay, that's what he says. But according to what we just said, there seems to be perhaps a more direct test than maybe the woman will talk about her. Maybe Eliezer wanted to hear how she spoke about others. But wait, he's not looking to marry others. He wants to know about that girl. Whoever girl that he finds, he wants to know about her. What does it matter what she says? And the answer is that if you are Sameach, then you don't need to talk negatively of others. When you have Simha in your life, you have satisfaction in your life, from yourself. When you need to talk negatively of others, that means there's something missing in you. Says Eliezer, how am I going to know? I need a wife that's Sameah. Yes, I need her to be a Baal Hesed. We know all the things. But I need to know if she's a Sameah person. How do I know if she's a happy person? Let me see how she talks 
when she's with the friends. Let me see what's coming out of her mouth. If negative is coming out of her mouth, she's lacking in simha. Someone lacking in simha is not for Yitzhak. Which explains, by the way, there is a midrash, very interesting midrash. We all know of Lavan. Right? Lavan the cheater, Lavan, all the things that we know about Lavan Ha'arami. So the Midrash asks, why is he called Lavan? Where did the word Lavan come from? I guess when the Torah gives us a name, there must be a meaning for it. Why Lavan? Says the Midrash, because he would embarrass people. He wasn't careful with people's kavod. How do you say embarrass someone in Hebrew? Malbin panav. You whiten people's face. When you embarrass somebody, you turn white. So the word Lavan is from the word Malbin. He whitens people's face and he embarrasses them. Very nice. However, it's not really so accurate because the word Lavan means white. If you want to say he's named after how he embarrasses others, so you should say his name should be Malbin. Why is he called Lavan? But the answer is, again, you know why you embarrass people? Because there's something to you that's not comfortable. There's something that you're embarrassed about yourself. When you're not comfortable with yourself, when you're a Lavan, then you're Malbin. Malbin is just the end product. But the real problem is something within you. When you find yourself embarrassing somebody or having that desire, you got to check into yourself. Interesting, that's what they explain. There's an instrument, a musical instrument. In Hebrew, they call it Naval. So, they explain why is it called Naval. The word Naval means something that's degrading. Why Naval? Because when you play it with other instruments, the sound is so beautiful, is so sweet from this instrument, it's Menabel. It makes all the other instruments downgraded. It's so beautiful, the sound that comes from it. The other ones lose their, their greatness. Again, but we don't call it Hamenabel. We call it Naval. Because when you downgrade others, it's because of a downgrade in yourself. That's why the Metzorah, the one who asked Sarat, he spoke Lashon Hara. So when we come to rehabilitate him, the Torah says, Badad Yeshev, he must sit by himself, outside the camp Moshavo. Hazal tell us, not only he has to leave the camp of Am Yisrael, but even outside the camp, let's say that Sarah, they have ten, they have a minyan of Metzoraim. Can they make a minyan? Make a minyan, like they have the COVID minyan. All the people who have COVID, get together, we'll make a minyan, we're all sick anyway. So you have all the people who have Sarat, they decide, listen, we're all here anyway in rehab. So, let's get together, we'll make zimun, we'll make a minyan, it'll be very good. Says the Torah, no, no, Badad Yeshev, the guys gotta sit alone. You can't be around people. Even people who are sick like you, you can't be around them. What's the reason? The reason is you spoke Lashon Hara. 
And right now it's time to look within yourself. Don't be around people because that'll distract you. It's not time to practice how to be good with others. Right now, you got to look within yourself. There's something wrong with you. Badad yeshev, a little introspection, a little look into yourself why you're not sameach, that you have to speak negative of others. That's your rehab. I'm going to share with you things now that maybe better you don't hear. But... The class must go on. It's a little bit hard to hear, really. You say this, it's a little hard to hear. But Hazal wrote these words, the Torah wrote these words, and we must use them to improve ourselves. But just be warned, it's a little bit hard to hear. Moshe Rabbeinu, in Sefer Devarim, is retelling the Jewish people, or not retelling, telling about what happened with Am Yisrael and his journey with them over the last 40 years. So one of the Pesukim says that at some point he told them, guys, I cannot carry you guys anymore. How can I by myself carry Torhachem, Torah means your, it's hard work. Masaachem, you're too heavy. Verivechem, and all the fighting. He said, I can't handle you guys alone anymore. I need help. Now, he doesn't say exactly what happened that all of a sudden he's saying, I can't do this anymore. Doesn't say. Comes Rashi and brings the words of Hazal. He says, You know what he was referring to? What got him so fed up? That he said, I can't do this anymore. Says Rashi, what waits? Masachem, Melamed. Hikdim Moshe Latzet. If they would see Moshe Rabbeinu leaving a little early from his house, he usually leaves his house at uh, 5 p.m. to go to Menha. They see him 3.30 out of the house. Amru, they would say, Mara'a ben Amram latzet. Ben Amram, they didn't call him Moshe. You know, ben Amram. Why is he leaving the house so early? 3.30, very early, no? Shema eno shafui betoch beto. For sure he has shalom bayit issues. He has shalom bayit issues. Why would he leave so early? He must have gotten in a fight with his wife. And he left. He walked out. He stormed out. Okay. Iher latzet. Wonder they'd see him late. He's leaving six o'clock. He's supposed to leave at five. It's six. Amru, they would say, Mara'a ben Amram shelolatzet. Why didn't he leave at five? Well, what's he doing? It's the midbar. What's going on here? There's nothing here. Ah, matem svurim. So what do you guys think? Yoshev, he's for sure sitting. Ve'yoetz alechem. He is planning against you. He's planning some strategy how to get you guys. Maybe he wants your money. He's figuring out how do I become rich from these people? How do I ensure my power? How do I show them who's boss? How do I bring my leadership to a new level? That's what it means 
Where Moshe Rabbeinu says, I couldn't do this by myself anymore. You guys are too much. I leave the house early. You have issues. Shalom, buy the issues I have. I leave late. You're thinking I'm trying to plan, devise plans against you. Now remember, this is Moshe Rabbeinu. The man who left the palace at the age of 14, 15. He left and he gave up literally his future for the Jewish people. He's the one that stepped in to save the Jew from the goy that was hitting him. He's the one that fought with Paro. He's the one that was praying to Hashem by the Kiriat Yamsuf. He's the one that when he was offered, that he will take over himself and his family, and the Jewish people will be wiped out because of the Egel. He told Borei Olam, I'm sorry, if you wipe them out, take me with them. There's no way you're going to do this, and I'm going to take over. This Moshe Rabenu, they're accusing him of planning against them. In fact, the Pasuk says that Moshe Rabenu said, I never took one donkey from them. All these years I'm serving them from morning till night. I'm sweating. My whole life is for them. I never took a dollar from them. And they're accusing him of such... He's called Raya Mehemna. Raya Mehemna means... He is the faithful leader, the shepherd of our people. How could it be? How could it be that they have such thoughts of Moshe Rabbeinu? And if you're not shocked yet, this didn't bother you so much. I saw you all sitting down, so you're okay with it. So you have to read what it says in Masechet Sanhedrin, because that'll take the cake. The Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin is discussing a pasuk in Tehillim that says, Vaykan'u le Moshe b'mahane. Vaykan'u le Moshe b'mahane, says the Gemara, what does that mean? Says the Gemara, Shehashaduhu me'eshet ish. That the Jewish people in the desert, they suspected Moshe Rabenu of going with their wife. So much so that they made what's called in Hebrew, there's an halakha called a kinui. A kinui is when a husband warns his wife when he suspects her of talking to someone inappropriately that may lead or maybe is already leading to bad things. He makes something called a kinui. Vaykan'u le Moshe. It says, kol ehad ve'ehad. Every one of them, they took their wives and they said, listen, we're very suspicious of you and Moshe Rabbeinu. We're warning you, don't talk to him. How could that be? How could they suspect Moshe Rabbeinu of such a terrible, terrible avera? The Gemara says in Mu'ayt Katan, and this answers all questions. Not only these, but many more. It says the Gemara, Hatam Mishum Sin'ahu De'avud. You know why they spoke against Moshe Rabbeinu? And they accused him of not having Shalom Bayit? Or they accused him of strategies to hurt them? Or they accused him of going with their wives? You know why they did that? 
because of their hatred. Because they had a sin'ah in them towards whoever, and it was directed at Moshe Rabbeinu. Like we learned before, sin'ah starts within you. Once you have it, you start to project it on different people in your life. And who better than the top who's always in the limelight? Usually a leader is in the limelight. He's the perfect target. You don't know what else other people are doing. But Moshe Rabbeinu, you know exactly when he's leaving, when he's coming, what, who he was talking to. It's public information. He's a perfect target for your sin'ah. The first and easiest place to hate someone is someone who's out there. Someone who has to make difficult decisions. Someone who has to make public decisions that some people like, some people don't like. It's Moshe Rabbeinu. At the end of the day, he's got to lead the show. So where does your midah of sin'ah automatically go? They're not going to go to the guy sitting in the back row. Nobody says anything about him. He doesn't say anything about anybody else. He's a quiet guy. What does he have to do with you? But the leader has to do with everybody. And when you're not sameah, and you have sin'ah, you'll even hate Moshe Rabbeinu. So never say, me, no, no, that guy's different. I know, I heard about sin'ah. I know. I know what the rabbi said, that if you hate somebody, it's from you, but not my case. If you met my neighbor, you'll understand. That's not what he was talking about. My neighbor is worthy of being hated. Everybody's going to think their situation is different. But don't think that. Because you're capable of making things up even against Moshe Rabbeinu. It doesn't mean your neighbor is Sadiq either. But sin'ah comes from within you. And listen to this. Moshe Rabbeinu tells them in the same conversation that when they sat around complaining in their tents, when they didn't want to go to Eretz Yisrael after the Miraglim came back, this is a pasuk now. But Tomeru, when they complained, you ever wonder what they said when they com- when the Jewish people in the desert were complaining? They didn't want to go to Eretz Yisrael. And it says they sat in their tents on the floor, like sitting Shiva. They all sat crying. Could you, what was the conversation? Like what, what did they say to each other? What was the discussion? So Moshe tells us, Vatomeru. You sat in your tents and you said the following. Besinat Adonai Otanu Hotzianu Me'eretz Misraim. You know why Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim? Now we got it. We didn't understand till now. But now we got it. Because He hates us. He just wants to destroy us. He's looking to destroy us. He's trying to get us. That's why He did the ten plagues. That's why He split the Yamsuf. That's why He gave us the Torah. That's why all the things happened. That's why. Could you imagine? I'm Israel sitting around and they feel they're being hated by Hashem. How could that be? Come Hazal and say, no, no, no. Of course Hashem loves you. Why would He do all those things if He didn't love you? You know why you think that Hashem hates you? Because you hate Him. Now we learn something else about hatred. Hatred begins when you're not happy with yourself. 
So you start hating people. And then it goes to a new level. Now that you hate the person, you think he hates you. So now they hated, they were not Sameach. So now they start to have hatred towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hashem himself they hate. Forget Moshe. They hate Hashem. And when you hate somebody, automatically you read them as someone who hates you. And it just gets worse and worse. And your life becomes truly miserable as a result. Not only when you lack simha, you have sin'ah. But when you lack simha, you develop something called jealousy. The Gemara says in Masechet Shabbat. Listen to this Gemara. Quoting a pasuk in Mishle. The pasuk says in Mishle, Urkav atzamot kin'ah. Urkav means when the bones rot, rotten bones happen because of jealousy. Says the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat. Anybody who has jealousy, when they're buried, their bones will rot. And someone who doesn't have jealousy, their bones will not rot. Question is, what does rotting of the bones have to do with a jealous person? You know, usually things have some midah keneged midah. There's some correlation. Because you're jealous, that's why your bones rot. What, what does bones have to do with jealousy? And the answer is that jealousy, the way it's viewed from the outside, it's, I'm really bothered. You know why I'm bothered? Jealousy, by the way, kills us. It destroys us. Our Hazal tell us, jealousy could destroy the human being on this planet. And if I ask you, well, why are you jealous? Why are you jealous? Look at that person's life. Look at their children. She's married. He has a big business. They have a house. They have more children. They have more health. So what's causing the jealousy? When you see other people, how much they have. So it's killing you. Comes the Gemara and Shalom Melech says, no, no, no. Urkav atzamot kin'ah. The word etzem, the word etzem means bone, but in Hebrew the word etzem means the essence of something. Etzem adavar, the essence. You know why you're jealous? Not because of what the other person has. That's not why you're jealous. You're jealous because you're not happy with yourself. You're not happy with what Hashem gave you. You're not satisfied in your own life. It's not that when you saw that person, you got jealous. You already had this midah in you because you weren't happy with the amount that Hashem gave you. You're not happy with your lot in life. And because of that, when you saw something, it made you so upset and so hurt. So that's why when you have jealousy... We attack the etzem. Because etzem, think about the person's body. We have so many parts. But the bones of the body give us the tzura. The way we look is because of our bones. Take away the bones, there's nothing to us. 
Just a bunch of mixture of limbs and sinews and all different things. So therefore, comes Shlomo Amelach and says, Urkav atzamot kina. A person who's jealous, he's not happy with his essence, with who he is. Therefore, the proper midah keneged midah is atzamot. You're not happy with who you are, with your essence. So your atzamot will rot. How much has jealousy destroyed in humanity? We see it throughout the Torah. Just give me two examples that stand out. The whole story with Korah is a story of a painful, painful experience that happened to Korah. What was the pain? Remember, Korah was from Shevet Levi. Shevet Levi. Shevet Levi is the holy of holies in Am Yisrael. While Am Yisrael is considered to be a holy nation, Shevet Levi is the next level. Within Shevet Levi, there were a number of families. The highest one, the one who carried the Aaron, that was the highest level, was the family of Kehat. He was from that family. He was this Ben Yitzhar, Ben Kehat. So Korah, in the bigger picture, was Zochet to be from the highest portion of Klal Yisrael. Beautiful. But something happened. You see, Kehat had four children. Amram was the oldest. Yitzhar, that's Korah's father was the second. Hebron, the third. Ve'uziel is the fourth. The youngest brother is Uziel. The oldest brother was Amram. So now, when they gave out all the important jobs in Am Yisrael, well, Moshe was the leader. He's the son of Amram. Aharon, the son of Amram, the oldest brother, got the Kehuna. Okay, he's good. Now they're giving out to be the leader of the tribe, of the Shevet. Who was that? So he says, he figured when he came out, not the Shevet, not the Shevet, of Kehat. The family of Kehat had a leader. He's the Hashub person. He is the one that decides for the family. It's a very important position. He thought, okay, Amram, Aharon, Moshe got their job. Who's the next brother? Yitzhar. Who's the son of Yitzhar? Me. Korah. Who did he give it to? Who did they give it to? To Elitzafan ben Oziel. The youngest brother, his son Elitzafan, got the leadership of the family of Kehad. He became the family leader. And that really broke Korah. And from that jealousy, he created a disaster in Am Yisrael as we know. Yerovam ben Nevat. I don't know how many are familiar with this man. This man was chosen by Hashem himself to be the king of Am Yisrael when they split. There was king of Yehuda 
and the king of the ten Shevatim, Yerovam ben Nevat, he was chosen by God himself. Hazal tell us that all the Talmideh Hachamim of that generation were very small compared to Yerovam ben Nevat. He was the Gadol Hador. Just imagine what kind of person this was. And many other things about him. What happened to this man? This man goes down in history as a person who was Hoteh, a sinner, Umahti, who made other sin a terrible ending. Yerovam ben Nevat. What happened to him? Is it possible to be on such a high level and to go down so far? Answer is yes. Never be surprised. Something happened. You know, when they, they had the mitzvah of Hakel, they gathered all the Jewish people together in the Bet HaMikdash. Everyone must stand in the Bet HaMikdash. And the only one that's allowed to sit in his chair in the Bet HaMikdash is the king. But which king? The king of Yehuda. He was not the king of Yehuda. So imagine he was the king of the Shevatim and Rehavam was there. He's the king of Yehuda. And he had to stand and Rehavam was sitting. This really hurt Yerovam. And from that, from that jealousy, the rest is history, as they say. How bad did it get? It says that Hashem told Yerovam ben Nevat. I guess his chuyot, I guess his greatness, Hashem still had it, a certain connection and love to him. He told him, after all this, he created Abu Dazara. Terrible things Yerovam did after that incident. He split the Jewish nation. He didn't want anyone to go to the Beit HaMikdash anymore because he felt that was a place where he was downgraded. So he created his own temple. He did everything. After all that, it says, Tafso HaKadosh Baruch Hu Yerovam Ben Nevat. Hashem grabbed him. I don't know what that means. Bebigdo. Whatever that means. Ve'amar lo, he says Yerovam. Hazor Becha. Make Teshuvah right now. Ve'ani, ve'ata, uben Yishai, netayel began Eden. Me, you, and the son of Yishai, David Melech, we will walk together in Gan Eden. I assume it wasn't a walk for exercise. Is he walking with Hashem in Gan Eden? Something special? He'll just make Teshuvah. Forget everything, just make Teshuvah. He told him, Mi Barosh. He said, okay, you, me, and David. Who, who's first? By the way, when Hashem told him, Ani ve'ata uben Yishai. But he wanted to hear it. Who's first? Me or David? Who's walking right behind you? When Hashem heard that question, he told him, Ben Yishai. Yerovam says, I'm not interested. I'm not coming. Hard to believe. But not so hard to believe. Because when a person is jealous, it's so difficult to make rational decisions. We read this and say, come on, this guy nuts. 
What's he thinking? You have everything. Hashem is talking to you. Come. Jealousy has no logic. You could drive yourself crazy. And where does jealousy start from? The atzamot. You're not happy with yourself. If you're not sameach, A, you're going to hate others. B, you're going to think others hate you. And C, you're going to be a jealous person. And today's final point on simcha is that when a person is not at peace with themselves, it is a sure bet they're going to have a lot of conflicts with people in their life. Mahlokid. Not a question. I'll tell you why. Very simple. When a person, I'll give you a mashal. Imagine there was a civil war in America, God forbid. Imagine 25 states are fighting 25 states. The country is out of control. The worst thing that could happen. Now, do you think this country right now that's fighting a civil war has the ability to find to fight a foreign country? How could you fight a foreign country if you're fighting within yourself? The only way you could fight a foreign country is if you have shalom with yourself. Then you could figure out how to have a war outside. It's the same way with a person. If a person, you know, relationships are complicated. I think we know that already. People are complicated. We are complicated. We're all complicated. It's very hard to get along. Beshalom. Shalom is not an easy thing to, you know, we get surprised. What happened? Why is no shalom here? David Amir says the opposite. When there's shalom, you should be surprised. That's how difficult shalom is. He says, Bakesh shalom. You know what Bakesh shalom means? Bakesh means look for it. You know what you look for in life? Things that's hard to find. I don't look for air. I don't look for water. I look for things that I can't find. I lose something, I go look for it. Says David Melech, to find shalom in your life, you have to look for it. Meaning, don't think shalom is so easy to come to your home, or to come to your business, or to come into your, anything that you're involved in. Shalom is actually the hidush. The simple way of looking at things is that people really should not get along. Because we're different, we think different, we act different, we like different things, and we annoy each other. That is the default. Especially a man and wife, 100%. Very different. If you had to choose a roommate for your seminary or for your yeshiva, you would choose people that are most like you. They like to sleep early just like you. They like to wake up early just like you. They like it quiet just like you. They like it cold just like you. They like to talk about makeup just like you. That's what you choose. You don't choose people that sleep at 2 in the morning if you sleep at 11. You can't do that. It doesn't work. If you're a clean person, you can't deal with a messy person. That's what you would do. So now all of a sudden you get married and everything is hafuch al hafuch. 
Everything is exactly opposite. The norm is that it shouldn't work. It should not work. If there's shalom in your home, this is a very big hidush. That's, by the way, it's a very good lesson to know because people get shocked. I don't know, why is no shalom in my house? There's not supposed to be shalom in your house. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's why it says David HaMelech, Bakesh, oh, you want shalom? You got to go find it. Bakesh shalom. First, you got to look for it. First, you got to find it. And even that's not enough. It sounds like even after you find there's a problem. Because he says, Bakesh shalom, Verotfehu. Rotfehu means you got to chase it. You ever see someone being chased? You ever see a dog chasing somebody? Right? Why is, why is he chasing him? Why doesn't the man stop? Because he wants nothing to do with the dog. That means even if you find Shalom, you know what it's going to do? Shalom is going to run away from you. And you're going to have to keep chasing it and chasing it until you jump on it and grab it. Default is, there should not be Shalom in our lives. That's the default. To find Shalom and to actually grab it, that's a Hidush. When you have a civil war, how are you going to find shalom outside? If you have an internal war inside of you, if you're not sameah with yourself, you have conflicts within yourself, you don't know who you are, you're struggling with what you do, it's inner conflict. You're happy one morning, you're not happy another morning. When you have, when I have an internal conflict, when I'm not b'shalom, you know, inside of us, there's two parts. There's the Yetzirah Tov. There's the Yetzirah. Constant fighting, tug of war. He's pulling this way. He's pulling that way. Who am I? What am I doing? When you're not at peace with yourself here, when you're not satisfied here, how do you expect to go out and find shalom outside with other people? It's not possible. You have to be shalom with yourself first. When you're Sameach, you find shalom. And when you have shalom... You have no mahloket in your life. You get along with people. How great is shalom? Our rabbis tell us that shalom is the biggest beracha that you can have in life. Says the Midrash, Gadol ha-shalom. Shelo baraha kadosh baruchu midayafa. Hashem hasn't created yet such a beautiful midah like shalom. I mean, if you have shalom in your life, there's nothing more beautiful that you can ask for. Shalom is the most beautiful beracha that I can give you. Which is why when we have berkat kohanim, yevaracha Hashem ve'yishmerecha. All the beautiful berachot. But the way we end... Ve'yasem lecha shalom. That's the biggest beracha. When we go to sleep at night and we're praying arbit, hashkivenu avinu le shalom. When we finish perkat amazon, oseh shalom. When we finish the amida, we ask for so many things. Atahonem, we ask for da'at. We need wisdom. We need health. We need parnasa. We need spiritual success. Everything we ask for. And in the end, 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 after we thank Hashem, Mudim, what do we do? We ask for shalom. You ever wonder what shalom is doing there? Why shalom in the end? We have a whole amidah of requests. 
Then we go into Modim to thank Hashem. And then afterwards we say, Sim Shalom. Perhaps the explanation is based on what the Mishnah says in Masechet Oksin. It says in Masechet Oksin that Hashem did not find a kli, a vessel that holds blessing of, rather than the vessel of Shalom. You need Shalom to hold blessing. What does that mean? Why Shalom called a, 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 a vessel? Answer is that the Beracha of Shalom is that it could hold shalom. It could hold beracha. Excuse me. Let me give you a mashal. A person comes to your house. He says, you know, I got the best wine in the world. It's like $10,000 a bottle. Something out of this world. Great. Can I have some? Of course. I'll give you a bottle. Only one problem. I don't have bottles. I could just fill it up. You have a bottle for me? Of course. You go get a bottle. You didn't realize. The bottle has a hole in the bottom. So here's the guy pouring you the best wine in the world. The biggest beracha of wine right in your bottle. And you're feeling great. Ah, oh, what a beracha. Baruch Hashem, amazing. This wine. Like in your life, you have beracha. Hashem is giving you parnasah. Great. Hashem is giving you health. Beautiful. Hashem is giving me friends. Amazing. I have parents. Awesome. What a beracha. I have so much beracha in my life. But if you have a hole in the bottom then all your beracha goes right through the hole. It passes you, you feel it for a moment, and it's gone. What's the kli? What kind of vessel is mahzik beracha? Shalom. If you have shalom in your life, then all the berachot have where to stay. They have where to be. That's why after we ask for everything, imagine Hashem says, everything you asked for, I'm giving you. And you're going to say, thank you, Hashem, that's so beautiful. I don't know what to say. Everything? Everything. I'm going to give you chokhmah, I'm going to give you parnasah, I'm going to give you health. Thank you so much. So, so thank you. But if you don't have shalom, then you have nowhere to put it. And you'll never enjoy it. That's why the end we say, okay, now hopefully you answered our tefillot. We need a kli to hold everything. Sim shalom tova uvracha. We need shalom in our lives. Without shalom, there's no beracha. Not in a home, not in a business, not in anything that we do. There must be shalom. Without shalom, all the things that Hashem can give a person, out the window. That's why we found that when Lot and the shepherds of Lot started fighting with the shepherds of Abraham, Abraham told them, Lot, do me a favor. He parted na me'alai. Please, let's separate. We cannot be together. Now that sounds like a no big deal. People separate all the time. It sounds like no big deal. But it's a big deal. Because Hazal tell us that so long as Lot was with Abraham, Hashem wouldn't talk to Lot. Because the presence of Lot was not good for Abraham's growth and connection with Hashem. And guess what Abraham did throughout that time? He left him. But you're sacrificing your own growth. But I got to help my nephew Lot. I got to get him. It's important. I'm sacrifice, sacrificing my spiritual success for this man Lot. And then one fight and he tells him, please, you choose where you want to go. I'll go the other way. Let's stay friends. 
Let's not fight. The pasuk begins, There was a reeve, there was a fight. Avraham tells Lot, Please let there not be a fight between us. Our rabbis ask, how come it starts with Riv and then Meriva? And they answer that Riv is Lashon Zachar. Riv is male. Meriva is fighting in Nekeva, in female. What's male and female? A fight begins sometimes small. Like it says in the Pasuk in Mishle, Poter Maim Reshit Madon. The beginning of a fight is like a small leak in the roof. Small leak. You say, ah, big deal. It's only leaking a little. No big deal. Leave it alone. Just leave it alone and it expands and it becomes huge and you'll never remember you had a roof to begin with. It says, Avraham Talot. I know right now it's a small fight. It's a reeve, but I'm afraid it'll give birth like a nekeva gives birth. It's going to be a meriva. Let's not get into a fight. Go on your way. A person has to run from mahloket like they're running from fire. They asked once the Hafez Hayim. He left his city. When he was younger, there was a big mahloket in his city. He left. So they asked him, Rabbi, when there's a fire, don't we get firemen to put it out? What are you leaving the city? He said, yes. At the beginning of the fire, you try to put it out. But if it's burning the house, you can't walk in there. You got to leave. I'll read you the words of Chaim Palachi. Chaim Palachi writes in a book called Refu'a Behaim. These are such powerful words. There should be a class just on these words. He says as follows. Ani hagever, he says, I am the man. Ra'ata eni, my eye has seen. Miyom she'amati aldati, meaning from the day I matured. Not sure what age that was. Kikol ish ve'isha, any man or woman. Mishpaha u mishpaha, any family. Medina umdina, any country. Ve'ir va'ir, any city. She'hayu benehem mahloket, that a mahloket began. Lo yatsu nekiim. They did not walk away without getting hurt. Venilku and they got damaged. Bem begufam, bem bemamunam. Whether it was physical damage or financial damage. He says, Umisha Yeshlo Da'at. He says, I give you advice. If you have a good mind, Ya'amik Meod Baze. Be very, very clear about what I'm telling you. Ul Olam Yemevater. Do not get into mahloket. Run away from mahloket. Mahloket can destroy a person. There, you know, there's a great rabbi. His name was Rav Shlomo Zalman Auerbach. Zecher Tzaddik Lebracha. He was known. He stayed away from mahloket. His whole life. He was a gadol ador. It's not so easy. He stayed away from mahloket. Somebody asked him how he has the strength. Sometimes it's hard. You know, you get involved. How do you have the strength to stay away from Mahloka? He says, something happened when I was a young boy. He's living in Yerushalayim. That left such an impression on me. From then, I took on myself. I will never get involved in a Mahloka. I'm never going to get involved in disputes and fighting. 
what happened? He says, in that time, there was a man by the name Rabbi Aharon Kohen. He was the son-in-law of the Hafez Hayim. And there was word in Yerushalayim that this man was coming to Israel. He was a great man. And he was looking for a place to live. So, they heard that he was looking to live in their neighborhood. In Shara Hassan, where Shlomo Zaman lived. They were so excited that this man, this great man, chose their neighborhood to put his family in his homes. And, and he came. When he came, they welcomed him. They found him a beautiful apartment. They got him furniture. They helped him. And now he starts to be part of the community. Great. You gain it in person like that. A few months later, they go to shul. He's not there. Okay. Maybe he's sick one day. Second day. Third day. One week, the man doesn't show up to the Beth Knesset. Very strange. Where is he? Rabbi Aaron Akohen, where'd he go? So they went knocking on his door in his house. They knocked, 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 no answer. They pushed the door in, it was open. They look inside, nobody's there. He moved out. He took all his belongings and moved out. They didn't know what they did. Maybe they thought, maybe they didn't give him enough kavod, maybe they didn't. Maybe he needed money. They didn't know what happened. They check it. Where did he go? Anyone know where he went? No one knows. Then somebody said, I saw him a week ago walking out with bags. He was going this way. Finally, they checked, checked. They found him in Yafo. So they traveled there to see him. They said, what, what happened? He said, I want to tell you something. When I left my father-in-law, the Havetz Hayim, he gave me a beracha. But he told me he's going to bless me, but I have to keep to one condition. He says, because I asked him, where should I live? I'm going, where should I live? Which neighborhood should I live? Should I live in Hebron? Should I live in the north? Should I live in the... Where? Where should I live? So the Hafez Hayim took my hand and made me give my word. He told me, live wherever you want. It doesn't matter. Choose the best place that you think is good. But one thing, if there's a mahloket where you're living, leave immediately. Don't even stay a day. Leave. He says, the truth, I loved it here. You guys took care of me. But I gave the Hafez Hayim, my father-in-law, the word. Can't stay with a mahloket. Run away. Mahloket can be extremely, extremely disastrous. And as we know from experience, where does Mahlokat begin? Where does Mahlokat begin? It begins with the Mahlokat inside. When a person is Sameah, there's no need for Mahlokat. When a person is Sameah, they look, they think straight. When you're, when you're happy, you think normal, you realize, don't get involved with this, it's going to hurt you, what are you doing? You know, I'll end off with this. The wife of On Ben Pellet, you've heard of her? Every woman should know the wife of On Ben Pellet. On Ben Pellet, his wife, when he, he was on the same group with Korah. So Hachamim say, this woman, On Ben Pellet's wife, I don't know her name. Hachmot Nashim Banta Such a wise woman. 
Hazal asked what was so wise about her. When On ben Pelet came home, when they were in the middle of the Mahloket, she told him, On, what happened to you? What's going on? You look like you're all hyped up. He said, what can I tell you? Tomorrow, we're going up against Moshe Rabbeinu. She told him, for what? He says, why should he be the leader? Maybe somebody, maybe Korah should be the leader. I'm going to fight for Korah. She told him, On, I'm not understanding. If Korah wins, so are you going to be the leader? No. You're going to be shining Korah's shoes. Okay. And if Moshe wins, are you going to be the leader? No. You'll be shining his shoes. So what are you getting involved in Mahalke for? What do you gain from this? Let Korah fight. What are you fighting for? He says, wow, you know, it makes sense. It's true. What am I fighting for? And he didn't go. She saved his life. You all heard the story, right? You all heard the story. Yeah. One big question on the story. This is a Hachmot Nashim Bantabeta. Such brilliant advice she gave him. Can I ask you? What'd she tell him? It's the most obvious advice. Anybody that comes to you with that situation, we're not so smart. We're not such big hachamim. But if someone comes to you and says, listen, I'm involved in a very big mahlukit. What should I do? Tell him, listen, okay, what are you gaining from this? You don't gain anything? So what are you getting involved for? Simple. What's so smart about this woman? You know what the answer is? That when you're in mahlukit, you become not so smart. When you're involved in fighting, you lose your sechel. And for a woman who's involved in the mahluk, and she has some common sense, that's big chokhmah. That's what mahluk it does to a person. It ruins their mindset of thinking. So, if you had any doubts about the value of simha, think again. Because a lack of simha means you're going to have sin'ah. When you have sin'ah, it means you're going, to pe- you're going to also feel people hate you. With lack of simha, you get jealous. With all that, you turn into mahloket. Life isn't so good. And it all begins from within. Surely there are many causes along the way. But the real battle begins inside. You have simha in your life, you're equipped with all the tools not to get into any of the things that were mentioned. Be'ezrat Hashem, we'll get to it very soon. Have a wonderful day. Wow. Thank you so much.